The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today, we're so lucky to have returning to us my friend who's a professor at Adelphi. He's on the Board of Autism Speak. He is the man in autism. Stephen Shaw. Stephen, welcome. Oh, thank you. It's uh, great to be here. Be to, good to be back again, I think, for the third time. Yeah, you are the leading contender here. I like it. Now, look, you're at Adelphi, right? Oh, uh, well, actually, I teach at Adelphi, but like all of us, we are confined to our homes. Is that why you have the H? Is it for home on your hat? Exactly. <laughs> You're good. You're really good. Um, you know, I'm familiar with your journey, but why don't you, why don't we start out letting our audience know about some of the highlights of your fantastic journey? Uh, the journey starts at the beginning after 24 hours of age. Uh, there's a baby picture of me and my wife says I looked like an egg. Then things developed pretty typically for the first 18 months, where I then was struck with the regressive autism bomb. And that happens to about 30% of us on the spectrum. And I lost functional communication, had meltdowns, withdrew from the environment, and in brief, I became a pretty autistic little kid. There was so little known about autism in those days that it took my parents a whole year to find a place for diagnosis. And when they did, the doctors said they had never seen such a sick child and they recommended institutionalization. But fortunately, my parents, like we see so many parents today, they advocated on my behalf and convinced the school to take me in about a year. And it was during that year that my parents implemented what we would today refer to as an intensive home-based early intervention program. And it was a program emphasizing music, movement, sensory integration, narration, and imitation. So it probably looked like one of the more developmental approaches we have today, such as Miller Method or Floor Time or RDI. And with the work that my parents did, speech began to return at age four. I got admitted to the school that initially rejected me. I got reevaluated. Instead of being considered a psychotic and ready for an institution, I got upgraded to neurotic. So things were looking better. Mazel tov. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, my parents, well, at age four, they found me taking apart a watch with a sharp knife. I extract the motor, take off the gears, play with them, spin them around, like things that spin, and then put it all back together again and the watch still worked. And there weren't any pieces left over. The lines of demarcation between ability and disability that autism can bring to us are really sharply defined. One of the worst experiences I could have in school other than uh, uh, bullying would be to walk into a classroom with a paragraph on the board because that meant we were going to have to copy it down. And by the end of the class period, I'd gotten through a few words 
and everybody else had gone to recess. Well, now you jump up to middle and high school. You don't need to be autistic to have difficulties in middle and high school. But for me, it was actually easier because I was able to engage in my focused interest of music. And music was great for being a structured activity to mediate my interactions with others. I got so tied up in music that I got it into my autistic head that I needed to learn how to play all the instruments, every last one of them. So I spent hours in the instrument closet figuring them out. And while I didn't get all of them down, I did get it up to about 15. And then when I heard that a requirement for a degree in music education was that you had to learn all the instruments, so what could be better than that? So then it was off to college. And I studied music education, it was the greatest thing I felt I could do, had a good time, the bullies were gone, I had more friends, if I wanted to ride my bicycle at midnight, I could find someone just as strange as I was to also ride at midnight. Dating occurs in college and that was something that I always found confusing, never could quite figure it out, but I've been married for a little over 30 years now, so I don't have to worry about that. Well, then it was on to graduate school where I continued my studies in music, uh, then starting a doctorate in music education. And I completed all the coursework in that doctorate. And I started getting more interested in autism. So I defected to the School of Special Education, got my doctorate in special education, focusing on autism. I started writing books and traveling around the world talking about autism and got a job as a professor at Adelphi University, uh, teaching courses mostly in autism, but in special education in general. So pre-pandemic, so before March, I was visiting a different country about once a month about autism. I had gotten it up to 51 countries 52, I'm not sure when that will be, but when it becomes safe to travel, uh, I think uh, Philippines are pretty high up there in being uh, one of the contenders for being number 52. And so here I am, where I divide my time, uh, mostly teaching courses related to autism, mostly, and some in special education, researching about autism, uh, at the university, uh, also writing books, articles related to autism. Uh, well, I was traveling, but now I'm sitting in front of this computer and traveling via Zoom and still presenting it in a number of different countries and states in the United States. And then finally giving music lessons to autistic children. And that's what brings me here. Fascinating history you have. And now that you're teaching others at Adelphi, tell us what your observations have been regarding how the coronavirus times we now have thrust upon us, how they've affected you and how they've affected your students. Well, it is a big challenge. It affects me, it affects my students, it affects the people who I present about. 
so that educators and parents and others can support autistic individuals. And what comes to mind immediately is what I call the big three. And those big three for supporting autistic individuals is one, you've got to keep the routines the same as much as possible. So you keep routines the same and course, you got to modify the ones that you have to, but you keep them as similar as possible. So one example might be uh, the autistic person who goes to school or goes to work, either one. The morning routine is all the same from getting out of bed to having breakfast. And then things change when it's time to travel to school or to work, whether it's driving or by bus or walking or however it is. And that's when we start, need to start making changes. So at 8.30, for example, when it's time to catch that bus, and maybe you have a nice uh, picture schedule that has a picture of a yellow school bus, and that's how you're getting to school. Now you have to exchange that for a picture of, say, a desk that's in a room in the house. Uh, you've got to have a picture of that. And you make a big deal about walking from wherever that student was and it may be in the den watching tv while waiting for the bus so it's just after breakfast whatever it is going from there to school and now that we're in school uh, also keeping the school schedule as close as possible so most most classes begin or i should say most school days begin with some sort of attendance taking commonly i'll see schools have all the students sit, say, in a semicircle uh, near a wall. And on that wall, there's a big poster of the home and another poster of school. So as each child is called upon and recognized, maybe that child gets up and pulls their picture off of the poster of school with a nice, satisfying tear sound that you get uh, when you use Velcro. And you walk it over to a picture of school and you, and you just attach it to school. Well, we could have a similar thing at home where we go from wherever the student was, living room, dining room, bedroom, kitchen, to the desk where they're doing the day's learning. In that open circle, opening circle, well, maybe the parents and other siblings get in on it too. And thereby replicating what's happening at school. Schools also tend to have a mid-morning snack, lunch, um, whatever the other activities and classes that they teach. And then we reverse the process. So that's an example of uh, the first of the big three that is uh, routines, keeping them the same or as similar as possible. The second one is communication. And we touched on that a little bit where we communicate in the style that the child best understands. So if that means using a picture schedule, then that's what you use. If it's using words like we're talking now, that's what we also use. So the communication piece. And then finally is the self-care piece. And this is for Hacky and it's for anybody else who takes care of an autistic person and it can also be for autistic people as well, who can learn to do uh, various things in order to keep themselves calm in this time of heightened anxiety. 
So what can we do to keep ourselves calm? Maybe it's just as simple as taking in a deep breath and thinking about inhaling calm from the environment. And then when you exhale, you're exhaling stress and anxiety. Or another option might be to, as you breathe in, you make a fist with your hands. And then when you breathe out, you let your hands relax and you spread it out, spread them out. You do this three or four times, you're going to be more relaxed. Uh, you can even take it one step further where when you breathe in, you put your hands together, palms facing each other in the way that some people pray. And then when you uh, breathe out, you pull the hands apart. So those are the big three that immediately come to mind when it comes to coping during these challenging times. I've certainly had to make adjustments to my own schedules. Well, the, the big three certainly makes a lot of sense, certainly does. What is your biggest present challenge teaching? Uh, my biggest challenge now is making sure that I reach all the students in an interactive manner. Uh, my teaching tends to be very interactive, which is different than doing a more didactic presentation uh, because I realized, and I can talk about this too, I realized that students like back and forth conversation more than just being lectured to. And that was something I discovered about, I think about a couple of years into teaching at Adelphi. Because what I found is that when I walked into the classroom, students, most of the students were already there. They were all talking to each other. And it seemed like they were engaging in excessive and gratuitous social interaction. And it was really loud, it would hurt my ears. I'd want them to quiet down right away. But you know, I just kind of put up with it until it was time to start class. And then the students would quiet down really quickly and I could get on with my lecture and pretty PowerPoints and so on. And everybody would go home happy, or at least I hope they did. However, one day I decided to just listen. What are these students talking about anyways before class started? And I found that they were talking about the course material, which made me realize that maybe they want to, maybe, maybe they prefer to have more discussion and as long as our discussion covered all the material that I wanted to cover anyways, then let's spend more time talking about it instead of being lectured to about it. How can people find out more about what you do, Stephen? Well, uh, one way is to go to my website, which is www.drstephenshore.com. I also have a number of videos on YouTube, Facebook, and also my LinkedIn account. Is there anything, Stephen, today that we have not covered that you would like to cover? Well, um, I've been involved in this uh, interesting project uh, called uh, Learn Autism, uh, which is a video portal to for supporting parents and providing research-based information in bite-sized video chunks. 
So you may want to check out learnautism.com. I've got some videos there and many other people have videos there. And what we do is we, uh, we explore all kinds of areas related to autism, whether it's educational strategies, whether it's inclusion, sensory issues, navigating transition to adulthood in the areas of employment, continuing education for those of us who are going to college, relationships and sexuality, uh, how we're going to be living, residential issues, and just about everything else uh, you'll find there as well. What is one piece of advice you would have for an autistic individual during these unique coronavirus times? My advice for us autistic people during these uncertain times is to focus on your strengths, focus on your abilities, and how can you use those abilities in which to be a better student or perhaps find employment and to bring yourself joy in life. Well, Stephen, it's been a pleasure to have you here. Good luck with all your teaching at Adelphi and thanks for Thank being you. a leader as a self-advocate in teaching autism, about autism and how to help all of us. Thank you very much, Stephen Shore. Well, thank you. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.